So we are, uh, we're in the middle of a series that we started last week called Meaning Behind the Music. We, if you've come here a while, you will see that music is a, is a part of what we do here. And um, it's important, we, we started doing this a few years back where we would uh, just pause and take some of the songs that we do, or maybe even a song that we, it's not a regular song, but it's a song that maybe you've heard and um, help you understand the biblical basis behind what we sing. And then, uh, so tonight we're going we're gonna to close with one more song, uh, and it's the song that we're going to be talking about, which is a song called How He Loves. And um, so the thing that I do want to just start with is that for some of you, the music component of Shig is, is, uh, is really you know, it's important and you really enjoy it, you look forward to it. For others of you, it's sort of like, ah, it's not really my thing, which I, I do understand that. My encouragement would be that maybe during this series, you would just take a, a, a little inventory of, of your own heart and just say, uh, do I need to sort of give a little bit more of myself to the music time? Because I think if you kind of come in to the music component sort of being like I don't really like this or this isn't my favorite thing then yeah you're not you're not going to get much out of it but if you sort of decide okay uh, most people like music so uh, and and you know we have this you know incredible band that we are able to 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 lean into and so um, yeah just that would be my encouragement to you is that maybe during this this time if this isn't something that you're necessarily uh, is your favorite part that you would just sort of lean in a little bit, give it a chance. Um, you know, maybe it's it's where you're seated in the room. If you're easily distracted by people around you, just sort of uh, find a spot where you can, you know, kind of be be in a place where you can really enter into the music time. So um, this is a song that that it goes, it was written probably, close, well, maybe maybe like, 18 years ago or something. It's called How He Loves. And the, uh, the line that it opens with is it says, he is jealous for me. Um, and that's where I'm going to spend uh, most of the time tonight is, is trying to uh, figure out what that means. And I have heard over the years, people have asked me, based on this song, but also just in general, they'll stumble on a scripture that talks about how God is a jealous God, and they will ask, like, what, is, what does that mean? And it's a really important question, and it's a really good question, because by and large, when we define jealousy, it's a negative thing. Someone who is jealous is something, it's not, that's not something that we want to emulate, but so what does it mean that, that God is a jealous God? So <clears throat> there are quite a few times in the scriptures uh, especially it comes up in the Old Testament where God talks about being a jealous God. So Exodus 34, 14, do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Deuteronomy 4, 24, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. We're going to look at this particular passage, uh, which is actually uh, comes out in the Ten Commandments, where God says, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children 
the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So again, what is it that makes it okay for God to be jealous, but when we are jealous, it's a negative thing? And the important thing is that we need to understand there are two kinds of jealousy. One is a jealousy that is out of insecurity, and one is out of protection, okay? So uh, the first kind of jealousy is when you are suspicious or resentful of a rival. That is out of insecurity and fear. It's the most common use of the word jealousy. Most of the time when we hear jealousy, we think of a relationship between a guy and a girl. One feels jealous about how his loved one is interacting with someone else. That is not the definition of jealousy that uh, is employed here in this passage in Exodus 20, uh, which is, as, as the dictionary describes it, this kind of jealousy involves being, quote, earnestly vigilant in guarding or keeping something. So that is what's happening in Exodus 20. God, you, you can put that last part back up there. God is saying, I am a jealous God. I am a guarding God. I am someone who is earnestly vigilant in keeping something that is precious. It's not out of insecurity, but out of concern, care, love for the protection of something or someone that you love. So let me sort of give you a couple of examples. So imagine the first kind of, of jealousy out of insecurity would happen. Let's just say that, that um, I, I go to, to, to dinner at Chick-fil-A, and I go to dinner with, with Heidi, and maybe, maybe, maybe there's some kids home from college, and so Foster's home. Maybe, maybe, we're all, maybe all, all of us are there. I've... I've Four kids, two of them are here in the room. So maybe all of all six of us are there. We're having dinner at Chick-fil-A, not on Sunday, of course, but let's say it's a Saturday night. We're going out for Chick-fil-A. And Heidi says, um, I, I need to get more Chick-fil-A sauce. So she goes up, gets the Chick-fil-A sauce, and she comes back. And I say, well, you were gone quite a while. And she's like, what, what are you talking about? I was, I was getting Chick-fil-A sauce. And I said, well, I don't think it, it should take that long. I could see what you were doing. And she's like, what, what do you mean? I said, you were, you were flirting with that guy that you got the Chick-fil-A sauce from, weren't you? You were flirting with him. Do you like him? Do you think he's cute? Do you think I'm ugly? Siler, it was a 75-year-old woman. I don't care. I don't care what it was, okay? What's the difference? What does that matter? You didn't ask me for Chick-fil-A sauce, okay? You think I can't provide for you? Do you think I don't have Chick-fil-A sauce for you? Do you think I'm ugly? Am I not enough for you? That is a jealousy of insecurity, right? That is, it's not pleasant. It's not a pretty picture. And, uh, and, it's, and it's a little weird, right? You know, because <laughs> uh, why do I, th- why, why would I think that? Well, that, that it's, it's an insecurity that is coming out. There's another kind of jealousy though, Okay. So picture this scenario. Now, this scenario you need to imagine, let's just imagine that my wife Heidi uh, dated Brad Pitt in, in high school. Well, let's just imagine that. So imagine Brad's 10 years younger. He grew up in Glenview. He actually is from Missouri. But just imagine he grew up, grew up in Glenview. Imagine he went to Glenbrook South. And uh, Heidi and Brad, you know, they were a thing in high school. Just imagine that, okay? So imagine that. And then imagine that Heidi's phone rings at 10 o'clock at night, and um, she's like, uh-huh, oh, oh, I'm so sorry, Brad. 
Oh, Brad. Oh, Bradley. Oh. No, yeah, no, I can come over. Yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, then she hangs up, and I'm like, what? Who, who was that? And she goes, oh, that was Brad. Um, he was just telling me that stuff with his girlfriend isn't going really well, and uh, he's really upset right now. He just said he needs someone to talk to. Uh, and he said he wants to talk to me because we're such old friends. So he said he was, gonna, he was having a hot tub party at his house, so I'm just going to grab my swimsuit and bring it. Um, so I'll probably be up late. You just, you, you don't wait up for me. It'll be fine, right? So in that moment, Brad Pitt, who in this imaginary scenario, uh, of course, is, has, has dated my wife, and, and Brad Pitt, who in real life is a known adulterer, uh, in that moment, for me to say to my wife, oh yeah, have fun, honey, have a good time. I'm just going to watch the Cubs game. Like, that would be very stupid of me, one. But for the protection of her and of our relationship, out of jealousy, not out of insecurity, but out of a protection, knowing that, hey, this might not be a good situation, a jealous love from me would be to say, I don't think you should do that. I really don't think you should go. Uh, that wouldn't be a good choice. And for me to say that would not be insecure. It would just be wise, right? It would be something that I want to protect and keep safe, this very precious thing that I love, my wife, and to guard our relationship. Likewise, when God says that he is jealous for his people, he wants them to stay away from idols, he's saying that because he wants to protect them. He wants to keep them safe. He's saying it because he wants them to be happy. He knows that they will be happiest if they refuse to serve any other god or idols besides him, and not because of any insecurity on his part. In fact, when God uh, says to someone, I want you to, you know, we've talked about this at times in the past too, where when God says, I want you to, you know, sort of come in, the, the Psalms command us to worship God, command us to sing praise to him. That is another time where we could be like, man, what is, what is the deal? Why does God need someone to praise him? He doesn't need us to praise him. Rather, he invites us. He says, praising me will bring you the greatest joy. I don't need you to praise me for me. I want you. I invite you to praise me for you to enjoy me. Because enjoying me is the greatest thing there is. There is nothing greater. There is no greater joy or enjoyment that can be gained in life other than being with God, being in his presence, giving him praise, giving him glory. So um, that isn't uh, anything except for deep love that God has for us when he invites us into that relationship. Um, so in that passage where, that, that we read, where, where he says, to, uh, to not make yourself an idol, we need to talk a little bit about idols because um, I, I know when I first sort of heard about idols when I would read the Bible, I would think, okay, well, I don't have idols in my life. I don't like make little wooden dolls or things and bow down to them. Um, but an idol is anything that we esteem or worship, uh, whether it, you know, actually worship, but something that we sort of give too much of our heart to. And in that regard... 
we all can have idols from time to time in our life, things that we put before God uh, and that don't satisfy in the same way that God will. Um, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he talks about, uh, it sort of spells out what idolatry is. In Colossians 3, 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So he explains, he sort of unpacks that a kind of idolatry wanting uh, is greed. Wanting material possessions that are not yours is a form of idolatry because we're putting that before God. It's a lack of trust that God will be enough, which is in essence what idolatry is. It's being unwilling to trust that God is enough for you and going to other places to do that. And we do that every day. Even though the scriptures tell us that God himself is sufficient for our every need, even though you know, we know this, we don't trust it. And we end up turning to false gods to try to do what God has promised that only he himself can do. The tricky part about idols, though, is that they can appear to just be blessings, right? Like they are the things that we are given to us to enjoy in life. They can be relationships. They can be hobbies. They can be, you know, like a sports team that you really care about. Those things that, that, are, that, are, that are just blessings that God gives. And the Bible says that any good and perfect gift comes from God. So if, we, if there's a gift in our life that, that we have been given, that's from God. That's a gift. What happens is that we, uh, instead of just enjoying a gift and worshiping God, we, we can sometimes turn and worship these gifts that we've been given. And that is when... Uh, God says, I am jealous for your love because I know that that thing that you are worshiping was not intended to be worshiped. It was intended to enjoy. Worship me because gifts aren't intended to be God's. They're intended to be gifts to be enjoyed, but only God is supposed to be God. Um, and this just, man, this happens. And I'll just I'll be honest, it, is, it has happened more times than I would like to think in my own life of uh, relationships in particular can, can become too important and, and you can start to worship them. Or, uh, you know, something, like I said, a, a hobby, a sport, an interest, uh, something that, that is just merely to be enjoyed becomes, because we are made to worship, we are, we're all just, we're just made to worship. We're naturally made to worship. And that can get twisted and we all of a sudden start worshiping the thing that we're just only supposed to be enjoying and not worshiping. This happens in the Old Testament in a really odd way. So we know the story, uh, many of you know the story of the Exodus where God saves the Israel people, uh, Israelite people out of slavery. He does these incredible miracles one after the other, the last of which is to, you know, firstborn sons die in Egypt, they, they, they leave, the, the, the river parts, they go through, uh, and, and uh, you know, the Red Sea parts, they go through, and, and they're killed. I mean, they're experiencing miracles, but then they get, they, they're, they're grumbling, and they're not happy, and uh, Moses is, is in, on the mountain, he's, he's talking to God, and the people are impatient, and in Exodus 32, 
it says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And instead, this, instead of Aaron saying, guys, what are you talking about? Like, did you see the miracles that God did? Did you see how we were miraculously saved? He goes, oh, okay, yeah, huh, let's do something with that. He says, so take off your gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing. Bring them to me. So the people take off their earrings, bring them to Aaron. He took what they handed him, made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Which is just like the weirdest thing ever. They 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 they're like, now nah, we're tired of this. We don't want it. We just we want to worship something. Give us something to worship. Aaron Aaron goes, cool, gotcha. Let's. I'll make a golden uh, calf, and then they say, these are your gods who brought you up out of Egypt. So we sort of th- th- this this thing happens where they're like, I mean, we're not going to you know get rid of God because here's what happens next when Aaron saw this he built an altar in front of the calf and announced tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord so the next day the people rose early sacrificed burnt offerings presented fellowship offerings afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry so they're like oh we got our calf and we're going to worship God like there's this combining that happens and we can do that too in our own lives we can say no no I'll worship you, God, but I also want to have all these other things that I worship too. And God is saying to us, that other stuff isn't going to do it, you guys. Worship me. Enjoy the gifts I bring you, but worship me. That is the kind of jealousy that he has. He has a jealousy that says, I don't want you to settle for lesser gods. I want you to only trust in me. Um, God wants all of us uh, to, to be satisfied in the deepest parts of ourselves. He wants to free us from our insecurity and to show his jealousy for us by displaying his goodness. There's a very famous quote We quote C.S. Lewis a lot around here, uh, and here's one of his more famous quotes where he says that we sometimes think uh, that, like, Christians are, it's all about, like, well, you know, we say no to these things, like, Christians are, are, are pretty well known for, like, not indulging in drinking a lot, like getting drunk a lot, for instance, right? I'll just, I'll just say that. Christians are known for, because the Bible says, don't get drunk on wine. So, in general, you know, Christians uh, don't go to parties and get wasted. That's sort of a thing that is true of Christians. And so, people from outside the church look at Christians and go, oh, you stupid Christians. You don't get it. You, you're missing out. You're missing out on all the fun you could be having with us where we could be, you know, we have all this fun getting drunk and you don't have fun, right? Christians are also known, what else? They're known for saying, we could have sex, but we're going to wait until marriage because that's what God says we're supposed to do. We're supposed to wait. And the world says, you stupid, prudish Christians, you're not having all the fun we could be, we're having right now. That's, those are the things that happen. What C.S. Lewis points out is actually there is a greater 
good that is available. And the people that judge the Christians for saying no to that are actually settling. They're the ones that are settling for less because God offers a greater reward than this. Here's what he says. He says, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord Jesus finds our desire not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. The point that he's trying to make, which he just does a beautiful job of making, is that we're, we're too easily pleased. It's not that we uh, settle for being a lame, boring Christian. It's actually the opposite. It's that people who settle for ambition and a little drink and a little sex, what they're saying no to is a greater reward, an infinite reward offered if we will say yes to God. That means we have to wait for it sometimes. It means that the immediate satisfaction that can sometimes come from drink or sex, we say no to. And don't get me wrong, the immediate satisfaction of drink and sex feels good in the short run. But in the long run, there is something that you are saying no to because of the way that that life, that lifestyle of saying yes to the immediate satisfaction is headed in the opposite direction of the lifelong fulfillment of following Jesus that ends in eternal rewards. That is the kind of jealous love that God has for us because he says, look, I see you guys headed down this road and I am jealous for you that you're going to miss out on what I made you for. I made you for infinite joy, infinite reward, and you're settling for this life which ultimately doesn't satisfy. That is the kind of jealous God that we have. He has great, perfect rewards available to us. And he says, will you just say yes to those rewards? Will you trust me that my jealousy will guide you towards something that is so much better than anything that you had in store for, your, for yourselves? I'm going to invite the band to come up. And um, the, the, the last part of the song... Um, and, you know, the chorus, of course, is, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Part of the power of this song is the simplicity of that, that his, this idea of a jealous love that loves us that much to say, I, I want something better for you. Trust me. I want to guard this for you. But uh, the bridge, he talks about, we are his portion, he is our prize, drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. If grace 
If his grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. And then he says, heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss. Unforeseen kiss. My heart turns violently inside of my chest. And then he says this, I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way that he loves us. I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way that he loves us. A relationship uh, with God sometimes gets interrupted because we, we have regrets and we think, oh, well, I messed that up and ah, that was, a, yeah, boy, I, you know, I, I just, I feel bad and, and, I, and, and then I feel bad about feeling bad and I just, I, you know, and we think that we somehow have to like please God and show him the ways that we're worthy and the thing that's beautiful about this line is that he says, yeah, you don't, have, you don't have to maintain your regrets. You don't have to come to God with your explanation as to why you didn't do this right. Because when you start to say, God, I'm sorry, his love is greater, right? That's what the cross is about. When, when we come to the cross and we begin to, to have our speech as to why we, oh, I'm so sorry that we see the cross and we go, oh, right. My unrighteousness has been replaced by Christ's righteousness. We don't have to maintain regrets, regrets, and we don't have time. And it doesn't matter in light of the incredible mercy of God displayed for us. And I think that's, that's the power of this song, of the, the jealousy uh, of, a, of, a, of a God who loves us that much. And in light of that, we don't have to have regrets. We don't have to have explanations. We can just fall uh, into his love and his perfect mercy. So let's pray as the band begins.